You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. What's up, guys? Welcome to Packers Total Access. My name is Clayton. You can check us out on Packernet.com. You can find me on Twitter at Packers underscore access. If you'd like to email the show, you can send a message to Packers Total Access at gmail.com. And hopefully the audio quality is uh, is good enough on this podcast. I'm running a little test run here for uh, when we fly out for Green Bay. Um, we're actually leaving on Wednesday. And the goal, guys, is going to be to give you guys a podcast while we're in Green Bay on Thursday and then uh, another one on Saturday. And then, of course, um, do a post-game show immediately following the game there Monday night. Uh, Jacob will be there um, in the uh, in the box uh, suites with me, and we're going to meet up with a few other people. But the goal will be, like I said, to do a post-game show, and we're going to have to do it mobily, you know, remotely, obviously. So, that's the reason we're testing out this new system. This is actually being recorded on the phone um, using the same program we use. So hopefully everything works out. Again, if the sound quality is bad, um, by the time you hear this, it will either be or, or don't hear this. It would have either been scrapped or I just want to apologize if the quality is a little bit off. So on today's show, I thought we would do stuff uh, a little bit different. What I wanted to do is go back and um, and look at the uh, the draft from last year, if you guys remember, I put out um, a list of graphics showing uh, basically my top 100 prospects going into uh, last year's draft. And I was unable to find the entire list. Unfortunately, the program I used has been scrapped since then. So I don't have the entire list, but I do have the top 22. So I thought what we would do is go back and kind of look at those prospects and see, uh, you know, kind of how that list stacked up. I'm going to explain how I came up with that list because I know draft talks starting to pick up, although the Packers are still, quote unquote, technically in the playoff hunt. Right. And we're all holding out hope. We'd love to see them make the playoffs, at least on this podcast, we would. Um, but again, people can fan how they want to fan. That's just how I choose to look at the season. So, um, hopefully they make the playoffs, but if they don't, I know a lot of people are already kind of gearing up for the draft and the off season talk. So I thought I need to, I need to self scout, you know, obviously myself as far as, um, you know, how I covered the draft last year and how I came up with my top 100 list. So I uh, just wanted to kind of go back and see, okay, how many did we hit on? Um, what was kind of the ratio of success as far as that list goes based off of PFF grades and, and maybe other things that have just kind of flashed this year. You know, I know we've seen Jameson Williams uh, today with his first uh, touchdown catch on his very first catch. As a matter of fact, he looks like he's going to be a solid player, although, you know, it was his first game playing. So it's kind of hard to list him as a hit, uh, a question, or a bust, right? And it's basically going to be broken down into four categories. What I would consider elite this year as rookies, um, hits, may, basically meaning that looks like it's a, a successful draft pick. It's a hit. They're going to be a solid player um, up in the air, meaning we, we need a little more time. Their grade is kind of teetering on that, that cusp of stepping into a solid contributor, but also, you know, a little bit low, um, according to PFF. And then – those that are listed as, uh, you know, uh, limited, 
uh, with snaps, you know, someone like Jameson Williams that's obviously been on IR all year uh, or, you know, like Trevor Penning who went down with an injury. Um, we'll kind of talk about how they, you know, obviously limited snaps. It's hard to say whether they're a hit or a bust, although, you know, availability is very, very important. So you got to kind of take that into consideration. Then we'll talk about the uh, the ones that missed of that top list. And uh, that's kind of what we're going to do. OK, so we'll go through that list for you guys. But first, why don't we do this? Why don't we kind of look at the playoff scenario? Now, I'm recording this as of 5 o'clock Eastern time. So the afternoon games haven't finished yet. We, we got to see the early games. And to the best of my knowledge, the standings will reflect that uh, on this list that I'm going to list off for you guys. So um, let's just kind of look at what the playoffs look like as of right now. And I'm getting this information. I'm, I'm hoping it's all up to date. But this is coming from the ESPN.com uh, playoff machine. Okay, if you guys haven't seen it, you can go check it out. It kind of lays out the playoff scenarios by seed and all that type of stuff. So let's start at the AFC and just kind of ramble through it real quick. Then we'll talk about the NFC and how it applies to the Packers and moving forward. And again, understand this could change at the drop of a dime. I mean, like literally the games that are going on right now with San Francisco, there's there's certain things that can move these seeds around. We're just going to kind of start to zero in on, all right, which teams do we really need to look for to have a fall off and the Packers to run the table in order to make the playoffs? But in the AFC, the number one seed is the Buffalo Bills at 10 and three. The number two seed is the Kansas City Chiefs at nine and three. They're playing right now. Mahomes just made an unbelievable play. If you guys haven't seen it by now, if you're listening to this on Monday morning or whenever it drops, Go check that replay out. I'm sure if you just search on Twitter or on YouTube, you could find that play. It was a, a pretty wild play. Mahomes just continues to do what he does, as always. The number three seed in the AFC is the Baltimore Ravens at 9-4. and four. The four seed is the Tennessee Titans at 7-6. and six. The five seed is the Cincinnati Bengals at 9-4. and four. The six seed is the Miami Dolphins at 8-4. and four. And the seventh seed are the New York Jets at 7-6. and six. Now, let's just kind of – Let's take a quick glance at those AFC teams schematically. And I think it's kind of cool to mention that the number five seed in the Cincinnati Bengals, that is a uh, Shanahan, you know, disciple, if you will, right? And uh, gosh, his name's uh, Taylor, Coach Taylor up there with Cincinnati. So that's a team that runs a similar scheme as the Packers. They're having enough success to be the five seed. Number six seed, of course, is McDaniels that came from San Francisco. Um, there with the Dolphins, and uh, they're having success. And then you've got the Jets, which, as you guys know, Sala was the defense coordinator for the 49ers years ago. Um, he runs uh, that style of defense there, obviously took it to the New York Jets, and then he hired Mike LaFleur, which is Matt LaFleur's younger brother, who runs the same uh, offensive system or similar. Um, so they're the seven seed. So you've got three teams that represent that scheme, right, of the seven that are making the playoffs in the AFC. I thought that was kind of cool and worth mentioning. Let's move over to the NFC now, and this is what really applies to the Packers. Then we're going to talk about the conference standings and, and kind of get a little bit better picture of our what are the teams that we really need to drop losses in order for the Packers to make the playoffs. But number one seed, Philadelphia Eagles, 12-1. and one. Number two seed, the Minnesota Vikings, 10-3, and three, as they dropped one to the Lions today. That was a lot of fun to watch. Um they are the two seed. Like I said, San Francisco 49ers are playing right now. They're playing against Tampa. Brock Purdy is, uh, you know, Mr. Irrelevant. 
uh, starting off strong, having a having a great game so far. Actually looked pretty poised in the pocket uh, after taking some big hits and then uh, showing some scrambling ability as well. They're up seven to nothing and moving with the ball right now here in the first quarter. But they're the number three seed at eight and four. The number four seed is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at six and six. Now, you know, you hear six and six, and you say, how is that possible? Obviously, they're leading in their division. So that's going to really uh, kind of uh, – you know, I don't know. It it could affect the Packers moving forward if they drop out of the top of their division, because then, of course, Tampa Bay uh, kind of falls into that mix for a wild card. And then, of course, you know, the Packers beat Tampa Bay head to head earlier in the year. There's a lot of things that's going to come into play. And as each week that goes by, this picture is going to become clearer and clearer. Right. And I really I think as a Packer fan, what we want is we want them to make the playoffs. But if they're not going to make the playoffs, we want to know absolutely sure. OK, they're not going to be in the playoffs and we can maybe play some younger players and move forward with building for next year. Right. So, um, again, though, Tampa Bay at number four seed right now, number five seed. The Dallas Cowboys at 10 and three. The number six seed is Seattle at seven and five. And the number seven seed is Washington at seven, five and one. Okay, so now when you look at those teams, uh, let's look at it from a schematic standpoint. The number two seed, Minnesota Vikings, obviously is uh, Kevin O'Connell, who came from the uh, L.A. Rams. Uh, he was their offensive coordinator. He's now the head coach of Minnesota Vikings. So schematically, we've got the number two seed. The number three seed is the San Francisco 49ers. Obviously, Shanahan runs a little bit different system from the Rams style of the Shanahan offense. Miami and San Francisco have a lot more similarities than other um, uh, coaches from that tree, if you will. So, again, San Francisco, the number three seed. The number four seed, uh, like we said, was Tampa. There's no schematic ties there. Seattle has schematic ties from their offensive coordinator, was actually hired in Seattle a few years ago that came from the L.A. Rams. So you've got three of the seven playoff teams in the NFC that run that same scheme. So you've basically got three from the AFC, three from the NFC. And, and then really after those top six teams that run that scheme, it really drops off pretty dramatically. I mean, you've got some of the, some of the worst offenses in the league um, run this scheme. So it's, it's really unique how things have kind of unfolded and it shows you how, you know, uh, certain teams can adjust on the fly and they can kind of adapt and, and evolve uh, from an offensive standpoint with this same terminology, this same uh, kind of outlook on how to move ball down the field and score points. So just wanted to kind of lay out that playoff picture for you right there. Let's move on to the conference standings. And uh, let's just go straight to the NFC. We're not even going to fool with the AFC. So, again, the number one seed right now, um, the Philadelphia Eagles, number two is Minnesota Vikings, number three is the Dallas Cowboys at nine and three, the 49ers, uh, number four seed at eight and four. And then you've got the New York Giants at seven, four and one. Guys, that tie, that tie may get them into the playoffs at the end of the day. Um, but right now, again, they're the number five seed. The number six seed is the Seattle Seahawks at seven and five. And then the Washington Commanders at seven, five and one are the seven seeds. So why do I mention that? Um, I mentioned that actually the, that seeding is off because the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are leading their division, right? So that means that one of those guys will drop out as far as the wild card, which would be the odd man out right now um, after these games are played, would probably be the uh, Washington Commanders, as a matter of fact. So I wanted to lay that out because the teams that we're looking at here, guys, is the Giants at 7 4 and 1 the Seattle Seahawks at 7-5, and, and the Commanders at 7-5-1, and one, right? 
let's let's just assume Tampa's going to hold their spot there at the top of that division. After that, you get the Detroit Lions and the Atlanta Falcons. So you've got the Falcons, the Lions, the Commanders, the Seahawks, and the Giants are the teams that are ahead of Green Bay. So if you were to kind of narrow that down and say, okay, we want the seventh seed, right? It's really going to come down to most likely the Commanders, the Lions, and the Falcons. Those are the things we're with, right? So, just kind of take that in consideration as we move forward. I'm going to lay out. Again, it'll start to come a little clearer next week um, after, after the game travel. Then we kind of see, okay, what teams do we really think uh, are going to have these playoffs, right? And that's kind of what we're looking at. So, um, that's how that lays out. Uh, next week, we'll be rooting against, obviously, the, the uh, a bunch of teams, but mainly the Falcons, the Lions, uh, the uh, Commanders, the Seahawks, and the Giants. So I just thought I'd take a second to do that. hope you enjoyed it. And again, this is going to be a quick episode. I thought, all right, it's a bye week. We've covered a lot of stuff this week. Um, and uh, obviously, with the Packers not playing, there's not a whole lot to really dive into. Everything's real hush at 1265 right now. And, um, you know, not a lot of information coming out. So, I mean, there's some rumors coming out that Jordan Love is going to want to be traded this offseason. <sighs> it's hard for me to address rumors like that because, you know, you you immediately go, oh, wow. Like, you know, I've seen it and went, okay, well, I don't blame him one bit, right? Okay, wh what's the source? Well, there is no source. I just have sources that told me that. Okay, that typically to me sounds like a reporter that just drummed up um, a uh, – you know, a scenario and wanted to put it out there as clickbait right now. I do know the reporter that originally tweeted about it and other sources, right? Quote sources started flying in is that he talked to Jordan Love and the vibe he got from Jordan Love is he wanted to be traded. He didn't say Jordan Love told me he wanted to be traded. It sounded like it was he was kind of hinting at he wanted to be traded. So it's hard to put a lot of stock in stuff like that. Um, so I'm just going to kind of stay hands off again. Uh, you can Google search it. You can go to Twitter and find, find the report on that and send, you know, kind of draw your own conclusion. I just try to hold off on things like that because we want this podcast to bring, you know, factual information to people. We want you to come away and go, okay, yeah, without a shadow of a doubt, that is the case right here rather than let's cause drama. Let's do what ifs and all that stuff. The only what ifs we're going to do are playoff scenarios because I do feel like it, it definitely applies. Right. So, all right. With that being said, let's move on to this draft talk. <clears throat> and again, this is uh, just kind of a, a self scout on, on, on me to, to kind of look at my top board and say, okay, which prospects hit and which prospects didn't. Right. And you're probably asking, why are we even doing this? Well, we're, we're probably going to have a pretty high pick, right? I think it's safe to say we're going to have top 15 pick maybe even a top 10 pick. So I like to look at the data and go, okay, which, how many of these prospects actually hit in the top 10, right? So we're going to go to the top 22 because, like I said, those are the two graphics I could find from my top 100 board. And let's just start right there at the top of the list. Number one on my board was Aiden Hutchinson, okay? Oh, let me give you the, let me give you kind of the criteria of how I built my board, first of all. Guys, this isn't, this isn't me pretending to be a scout and watching the tape. OK, I, that's not how I look at the NFL draft. Um, you know, I look at the NFL draft kind of how a gambler would look at it. Right. What what do the quote unquote experts say? What's the buzz around these players? Where were the visits taking place? That's going to kind of form the board, things like that. Right. And that determines how valuable these players are to these teams. I'm not a podcaster who's going to sit here and say, 
that I understand scouting better than Daniel Jeremiah. I think it it takes quite the ego to do that. Daniel Jeremiah has been a pro scout. He has he has scouted for the Baltimore Ravens, right? He is very very trusted. It's how he got the job at NFL Network. This isn't just some loudmouth um, like you would find on ESPN. This is a guy who's been in the building building draft boards and helping compile information on prospects for numerous years. That's why I like Daniel Jeremiah. Now, why do I mention Daniel Jeremiah? Because I take his top 100 and, okay, that goes into the database for me. I also take the consensus big board, which to me is the biggest wild card because the consensus big board, and if you guys don't know what that is, if you just Google it, you'll see the um, the website. It's a lot of different media members that build their own boards, right? Their top 100 boards, top, really their, their uh, top board in general, like every prospect is listed to the best of my knowledge. They compile all that data and that gives you the consensus big board. Okay. So I use the consensus big board as information. I use Daniel Jeremiah as information. And then I also take into consideration um, the, uh, the opinion of Greg Cosell. Greg Cosell typically doesn't build a big board. Greg Cosell, you have to really comb through um, hours of material to find his takes, his input, his evaluation of these prospects. And anytime that he has something very positive to say about a prospect, I kind of treat him as my chief scout. His opinion matters more than anyone else. So when you take these all these uh, these numbers and put them into the database and you come up with an average, what I typically do is do a plus or minus five for um, uh, Greg Cosell's opinion. OK, and positive wise, it would be a minus five because the way the board's going to be set is the lower the number, the better. Right. So like Aiden Hutchinson. He was hands down the best prospect in this draft. He had the lowest number, average number of anyone. And then, of course, Greg Cosell just raved about him. So whatever, let's say his number came to eight, right, that his average uh, spot on the big board would be eight. Then I would minus five for Greg Cosell's uh, opinion, and that would put him at a three, right? The lowest number goes at the top of the list. It takes a lot of time to do this. But again, these are people that I personally trust when it comes to the the draft process, you know, and that's kind of how I look at it. So that's how Aiden Hutchinson landed at number one. So he landed at number one, but he was taken at number two by Detroit, right? <clears throat> taken at number two by Detroit. He graded out as a 70.1. All right. So 70.1. Um, I kind of list that as a hit personally. I think that that's a hit. I think anyone who has a PFF grade, they have uh, a certain number of snaps and they have a PFF grade, that cracked over 70 or above, I think that's a hit personally. I think that's a great rookie grade. That's someone who's showing they can play at this level. And all these players, uh, you know, theoretically are just going to grow moving forward, right? So a 70 is really going to, you know, who knows, in three to four years, they may be grading out in the 80s, right? Now, again, anything can happen. I think coaching comes into play big time. You guys have heard me say numerous times, I, I definitely subscribe to uh, – um, Mike McCarthy's way of thinking when it comes to players in the NFL, there are no bad players in the NFL. There are good players and there are great players, right? And the difference sometimes between good and great players is simply the uh, the surroundings, the environment they're thrust into. You know, how stable is the coaching staff? How good are the schematics? 
Are they put in a position to maximize their talent? All those things matter, right? So, um, again, I think that the difference between a hit and a miss, just to kind of lay it out, I've got it into, like I said, five different categories. Elite is an 80 PFF grade or above, okay? 80 plus, I'm considering that elite. A hit is going to be 70 or above PFF grade, all right? And then the uh, misses, in my opinion, are going to be anything below a 70, or I'm sorry, up in the air is going to be between 50, um, between 60 and 70, okay? So in the 60s, I would kind of consider that, okay, they could go either way, right? They're, they're kind of up in the air, if you will. We still don't know about them. And then we're going to have the misses are going to be 60 and below. And then, of course, we're going to mention if someone had a limited amount of snaps. OK, so that's how it's going to lay out. Now, let's go back to the list. Aiden Hutchinson, I had him number one on my board. He grades out as a 70.1. I've got him as a hit. He went number two to Detroit. Number two on my board. And I caught some flack for this, especially after the 40 time. Kyle Hamilton out of Notre Dame. Right. I had him number two. People were rolling their eyes. Did you not see the 40 time? Blah, blah, blah. Right. Baltimore, first of all, they weren't the only people that felt like that because he fell all the way to number 14 with Baltimore there with the injury and everything, right? In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy slab packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. So Baltimore takes him at number 14. He was number two on my board. He grades out right now as an 84.6. I don't have the PFF information put up in front of me, but I think he has over 300 snaps. So it's not a small sample size. 84.6, he gets an elite from me. Kyle Hamilton looks like that player that everyone thought he was going to be before he ran that wonky sideways 40-yard dash and before the injury information, right? So 84.6, looking solid there. Number three on my list, Kayvon Thibodeau. He was drafted number five to the New York Giants. He's graded out as a 68.8. Borderline hit, but again, in the 60s, I've got to put it as a question mark. He's still kind of up in the air, okay? Um, number four on my list was uh, Equinu, okay? Um, Icky Equinu, or Equinu, however you say his name. He was the offensive lineman taken by Carolina at number six. I had him at number four on my board. He's grading out as a 62.8, question mark. He's still up in the air. Um, number five, Derek Stingley Jr. Got this one wrong big times, guys. Um, I had Stingley Jr. slightly over top of Sauce Gardner, and I, and I kind of said I would be okay with either one of them going ahead of the other, right? But the big thing about Stingley was he he peaked early in his college career and then struggled there on the backside. Well, 
evidently that mattered. Again, I had him at number five on my list. Houston took him at number three. He's grading out as a 49.1. So there's your first miss of my board. Number five on my board, Stingley Jr., I'm, I'm listening as a miss. Number six, uh, Evan Neal. Evan Neal was drafted at number seven by the New York Giants. He's grading out as a 49.5. Again, another miss there. So in the top five, well, let's, yeah, let's back up. In the top five of the players on my board, I had one elite, one hit, two still up in the air, and one miss. Okay, and then, of course, Evan Neal is number six on my board, so we're kind of getting into the top ten now. Um, again, he was a miss at 49.5. Number seven on my board, Charles Cross. Um, he was taken number nine by Seattle. He's graded out as a 64.4, still up in the air there for sure. Number eight on my board, we've got Sauce Gardner. Um, he was taken at the number four spot by the New York Jets, so obviously um, – Right after Derek Stingley Jr., Sauce Gardner this year grades out as an 84.2, guys. That's uh, an elite draft pick, in my opinion. Um, he's he's a game changer. Like, he is looking like – it's looking like the New York Jets have found their cornerback that they need to build this defense around. And, and the defense has already played pretty solid this year, you know. Um, so – it's uh, it's going to be exciting to see Sauce play. I know a lot of people have, uh, especially Packer fans, have uh, bitter feelings towards him because he put the cheese head on there after they beat the Packers at Lambeau this year. But you can't you can't deny the talent, man. Solid, solid there at eighty four point two. Number nine on my board, Garrett Wilson. Um, Garrett Wilson uh, was taken in the number ten spot to the same team as Sauce Gardner there with the New York Jets. He grades out so far this year, guys, as an eighty point three. I caught a little bit of flack for saying that he was my top receiver in this year, in last year's draft. Uh, that's how I had him graded out as an 80 point or as a, uh, in the number nine spot. He was the top wide receiver in the entire draft, in my opinion. And so far it's paid off for the Jets as he, uh, like I said, is an 80.3. So that's another elite hit there. And then rounding out the top 10 was uh, number 10, Trayvon Walker. He was taken number one overall in the draft. Guys, he's only grading out as a 57.0. I'm counting that as a miss right now. He's shown flashes. He got a strip sack today, if I remember correctly, um, watching the game. But, uh, yeah, he's just not not showed the uh, consistency for sure uh, for that number one pick. And it, and it kind of shows you, like, you know, typically those first-round picks – they're quote unquote supposed to be generational talents, right? That they've got these unique skill sets. You know, it's it's uh you know the the cone, the shuttle, the forty yard dash, uh, the explosion grades, all those things, right? That's typically the way people look at those those players that are taken very high in the draft. Um, I personally like to lean on the tape. I like to lean on well, how did they per perform on the football field, right? So it's easy to take a player that if they didn't, if you removed all the measurables from every prospect and you looked at Trayvon Walker just from his uh, performance on the field in college, I don't think anybody would say, yep, that's your number one pick. And I think that's very important. That's why he dropped all the way down to number 10 for me when a lot of people on their consensus big boards were simply saying, no, he's a top three pick. He's a slam dunk. Well, he's, he's not been a slam dunk on the field at a 57.0. So, again, let's recap the top 10. Of the top 10, we've got on my list here one, two, three players in my top 10 that are elite, one that's a hit, three that are still up in the air, and then I've gotten three misses. Okay, so three elites, one hit, three up in the air, three misses. 
So essentially, you've got four solid draft picks of the top 10. Right now, I'm hitting about 40%. Okay, That's kind of how I'm looking at this and the reason I wanted to grade myself and look at the draft class from that standpoint. Okay, So that's kind of how that lays out there, 40% success rate in the uh, in the top 10. Let's move on to number 11. Number 11 on my list was George Karloftis. Um, he was drafted at 30 by Kansas City. He's graded out this year as a 51.4. That's definitely a miss. Uh, number 12 on my list is, uh, or on my big board here, was Jordan Davis. Uh, he was taken at number 13 by the Philadelphia Eagles. He's graded out as a 73.2. You guys know he had crazy combine numbers, had a crazy 40-yard dash. He also showed, I thought, decent, decent tape. But I know that one of the things that dropped him down on my board where he was high on others is I remember Greg Cosell being a little bit hesitant on him. And I think I may have even went negative, too, because he talked about him. But he said, but also, here's here's the issues I see in his game. And that made me a little bit hesitant. I couldn't give him that minus five that I normally give when Greg Cosell gives a uh, a compliment. So I just gave him a negative, too. A negative, obviously, being positive. Lower number is more valuable. But again, Jordan Davis, 73.2. That's a hit. He was number 12 on my board. Number 13, Trent McDuffie. He was drafted in the number 21 spot by Kansas City. He grades out as a 76.0. That's a hit. Um, Devin Lloyd, um, I had him number 14 on my board. He was the top linebacker. That's that's why when Quay Walker was taken, I was a little bit like um, a little taken back by some of these uh, linebackers that were drafted because um, with Quay, it was like I still had numerous uh, linebackers that were ranked ahead of him, but we're kind of seeing Quay has really struggled. Guys, I want to get excited about him. I, I love his athletic ability and all that stuff, but when you look at his PFF grade, Quay has had a bad year. And I'm not going to be a fanboy. I'm going to be a Packer. Uh, yes, I'm a Packer fan, and I want these guys to succeed. But as Greg Cosell says, if you see it, you got to say it. And I just haven't seen it with Quay Walker this year, right? And I hope he develops. Again, it's a good example. You know, Quay's grading out, I believe, in the 50s, if I remember correctly. I don't have his grade pulled up because he's not in my top 22. But, um, you know, he can develop. Who knows? He may step up into the 60s and 70s next year and then eventually, you know, uh, uh, develop into uh, an elite player. I hope that happens. So these grades are not simply saying that. It's just how are they performing this year, their rookie year, right? And kind of grading them on a scale of, all right, we need to take into consideration they've got growing to do. And uh, just because somebody grows out in the 60s, I'm not going to say, nope, that's a bust because they, they could possibly develop. But again, Devin Lloyd, though, I had him 14 on my list. He was drafted at number 27 by the Jacksonville Jaguars. He's graded out as a 51.9. Not panned out. That's a miss right there. Number 15, I have my second wide receiver on the board in Drake London. Um, again, 15, he was drafted at number eight by the Atlanta Falcons. Drake London is graded out as a 77.8. That's a nice hit. That's borderline elite, in my opinion, for a rookie. Um, so that was a good hit. So I'm actually two for two when it comes to wide receivers. I'm just now realizing that. That's kind of cool. Um, up next, you got Jermaine Johnson, the second. Um, I have him in the num number 16 spot. He was drafted at number 26 by the New York Jets, and um, he's grading out as a 70.8. I count that as a hit, obviously above six, uh, you know, uh, above 70 flat. I consider a hit as a rookie. Number 17, you got David Ajabo. Now, I put him at number 17, obviously before the injury there. Um, 
I think it was during the pro day when he had the injury, if I remember correctly. It was so long ago. I know there was an injury that that caused him to miss this year. He's taken zero snaps. He dropped significantly, but he landed at number 17 for me. Baltimore took him at number 45. So I'm eager to see when he does get on the field and when he's healthy. Uh, what he can do, but zero snaps. Obviously, there's limited or no snaps. We're going to list that in a separate category. Um, number 18, Trevor Penning. Um, I had him at number 18. I was very excited about Trevor Penning. He was one of those guys, if I remember correctly, Coach Hahn was excited about. He's kind of a mauler. Coach Hahn's like, keep my name out of your mouth, man. I don't want any negative comments on my my draft information, but um, I had him at number 18. I specifically remember Coach Hahn thought, pretty highly of him as well. He was taken at number 19 by New Orleans, so the Saints agreed with us. But Trevor Penning, guys, he only took 16 snaps. He got hurt. He was grading out as a 30.0, but it's 16 snaps. We're going to treat it like it's zero snaps. So limited or no snaps there for Trevor Penning. Um, number 19 on my list. This one hurts bad because Malik Willis um, comes in at the 19 spot. And I specifically remember Greg Cosell um, saying he didn't like Malik Willis as a quarterback. Just that, yes, he's got the secondary, uh, you know, secondary action movements, and he's very, you know, he's a freak at the quarterback position as far, as far as mobility, and he had a lot of arm strength and this and that. But Greg Cosell did not put in a good word for him at all. I remember there being a plus five on him from Greg Cosell. And really, I allowed the media – to talk me into this. This is the only player on my board, guys, and it's lesson learned, and, and it's the reason I'm kind of airing this out right now because I will not make this mistake this year when I'm building my big board. I let the media talk Malik Willis up to me. This is the only player on my board that he was grading out outside of the first round, and the media was so hype on him, and all of the talking heads talked him up so much, especially since the pro day, that I literally said, you know what, I'm just going to put a number on him. And I put him at the 18 spot, or at the 19 spot, rather. Now, there were some that had him as a top five, right? And there was others that were saying they don't even think he's going to be, you know, taken in the first round, right? Well, Malik Willis was taken at number 86. So all of that late hop that made me want to put him in a, as a first-round talent it's the only player on my board that I did that and went and deviated, went away from the information and went away from the, you know, the data. And it bit me in the rear end. He's grading out as a 44.9. And he's gotten some significant snaps. As you guys remember, he got to start a few games. We got a little sample size of him. I'm not saying he can't develop into a good, solid, or even, you know, greater elite quarterback at the NFL level. I'm just saying right now, based off the information, I will not make that mistake again. I'm just going to put it that way because when the draft unfolded, what happened? He dropped all the way down to number 86, the 86 pick taken, and I was sitting there looking like an idiot. Every time I seen him on my board, I got mad because I was like, I let a certain few that were so loud on ESPN and these guys that are hot take type guys talk me into thinking that he was a first-round talent. It won't happen this year. So, again, Malik Willis was a miss. All right, number 20, Tyler Linderbaum. This was a guy that I was kind of hoping the Packers would draft. I was, I was, uh, I remember specifically thinking, man, I'd love to see them take him here with their first pick, if I remember correctly. Um, he was taken at number 27. It might have even been the second pick I was hoping they would take him. I think that on the draft coverage, we had several people kind of hoping they would take Linderbaum. Linderbaum graded out as a 69.7. That's pretty solid, guys. 
that's pretty solid for an offensive lineman and a rookie. Um, I'm going to count it as a hit. It's not technically 70, but a 69.7 is close enough to a 70 PFF grade for me that I'm going to call that a hit. Again, he was drafted at number 27 by the Baltimore Ravens, and I had him at number 20 on my board. Number 21 on my board, we had Jameson Williams. Okay, um, he was taken number 12 by the Detroit Lions. Everybody just assumed it's going to be a red a red shirt year for him because of the injury that he sustained there late in the year. Um, he actually came out and played today. If you guys are listening to this on Monday, um, he played yesterday. Very first pass from scrimmage actually caught a touchdown pass. And I'm going to see here without killing too much time, if I can pull up his actual stat line and see if he did anything else or if it was just that kind of one flash in the pan play. But I do know as soon as he flashed on, I went, man, I'm, I'm sitting there going through this information, watching the Red Zone channel. I see the touchdown, and I'm like, there he is at 21 on my board. And uh, obviously, he showed up today. So let's pull up the stats here in the box score from the Lions-Vikings game. And it looks like here, Jameson Williams, that is the only catch he had. So he had two targets, his very first target, very first catch as an NFL wide receiver was 41 yards and a touchdown catch. So pretty cool, but again – Limited amount of snaps, obviously one game, we're going to put him in that limited category. Uh, and again, Detroit gambled on him, took him at number 12, and it's you know, early indications are they may have hit a home run there for sure. So um, next on the list, number 22, the final one on my top 22 board here, Chris Olave, wide receiver. Um, New Orleans took him at number 11. I had him at 22. He grades out as an 83.4. And uh, it's kind of cool, man, because – as I go back through here, I'm going to try to count out the wide receivers. One, two, three. Let's see here. Four. Four wide receivers on my top uh, 22. And all four of those wide receivers, I believe, were hits. Now, Jameson, obviously, still up in the air because, like I said, it's kind of a red shirt. But Chris Olave, 83.4. I consider that elite. As a rookie, um, obviously, if you go back to the top of the list, you've got Garrett Wilson at 80.3. So that's one for one. And then Drake London at 77.8. That's a hit. That's two for two. Um, Jameson Williams, obviously a red shirt. We'll just kind of call that a push. And then Chris Olave, 83.4. So literally, the three wide receivers that I have in my top 22 all graded out as – uh, 77.8, which is a hit, 83.4, which I would consider elite, and then also uh, 80.3, which I would consider elite. So I kind of feel like we got a beat, right? Got a beat on the uh, on the wide receiver position when we're building our draft board, and that's, that's really, really exciting. So I'm going to go back through and try to tally these up real quick and uh, not bore you too much with it. So with the, uh, the amount of hits and everything. So out of 22 total, okay, 22 total, we have four elites, okay? We have six hits. We have three that are still up in the air. Or I'm sorry, four misses, three that are still up in the air, and then three limited or no snaps. Okay, let's make sure that tallies up right, and it does. Okay, cool. So that's kind of how it lays out. So when you look at 10 hits out of 22 players, right, that we looked at, 10 out of 22 we're flirting with 50% hit rate. That's pretty uh, That's pretty good. You know, we're just below 50% hit rate. Um, the thing that in my notes here that I'm going to make as we get ready to start building our draft coverage and all that stuff going into the offseason, 
Um, and it's the reason I wanted to do this exercise and thought, why not turn it into a podcast to kind of give everyone an idea of the draft board and how they grade it out is I am not going to be in big, bold letters in my notes. It's going to say, do not let the media talk you into any player, not even a Notre Dame player, not even Will Levis. If the numbers suggest that Will Levis is the real deal, awesome. But if they don't, nobody's going to talk me into it. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's it, guys. I just wanted to kind of hit on that. Again, it's going to be a quick show. We wanted to test out this system and make sure it's going to work while we're up there in Green Bay so we can continue to bring you guys a podcast while we're there right on, uh, you know, ground zero there for uh, um, for the Packers-Rams game. The goal is going to be as soon as the game ends, we're going to file out a Lambeau. Me and Jacob are going to part ways, get to a quiet place, and we're going to try to give you a post-game show just talking about our experience there in the luxury box at Lambeau and obviously uh, what actually took place there with the Packers-Rams game. So um, hopefully you guys enjoyed this, gave you a little bit better idea of the teams that we're looking to compete against in this final push here to possibly make the playoffs. Again, we know it's a long shot. Um, it's it's okay. We you know we're, Nobody's sitting there going, oh, yeah, the Packers got a great shot of making the playoffs. But until they're eliminated, we're going to continue to talk about it, right? And it gives you kind of uh, something to look for each Sunday. Even these games that where the Packers aren't playing, you kind of got an idea of, of uh, you know, who's, uh, who's in the running and who we need to compete with. As I'm looking at the score right now, guys, 21 to nothing. San Francisco is absolutely boat racing the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. San Fran is peaking at the right time. Um, this may be their year. We're going to see. And, uh, you know, Mr. Irrelevant, he <laughs> – that's going to be interesting next year with Trey Lance. Let me just talk about that real quick as we wrap up. Could you imagine using all that – collateral all that uh capital i should say not collateral capital to climb up in the draft and take trey lance right you take trey lance as your quarterback of the future he comes out absolutely struggles then gets hurt jimmy g comes in plays pretty good get your team back in you know in the running there and then he gets hurt and now you've got the very last pick of the nfl draft in purdy and he's coming out and beating the Tampa Bay Buccaneers by three scores. Like, what do you do going into camp next year? And that's what's really cool about the uh, the draft process now, that these prospects aren't absolutely breaking the bank when you make a top five pick, right? Back in the day, there's no way you're getting rid of Trey Lance. But now you can kind of look at it and go, it's not ideal. But if you're starting quarterback, can be the very last pick of the draft. You've got him on a four-year minimum contract. Holy cow. I don't think you're going to be rushing Trey Lance back, you know. But, again, the rumors coming out of San Francisco, and, you know, you guys know I, I watch very, very closely what goes on in New England, and I have heard over and over and over that that Shanahan did not like Trey Lance as a pick. And he was talked into it. And I mainly heard that from Michael Lombardi, who has people in the building in San Francisco, that said he was borderline forced to take Trey Lance with that pick, that he actually wanted Mac Jones. And if you guys uh, remember that, you know, from the whatever, that, that draft there, they said he was absolutely in love with Mac Jones, right? And for whatever reason – he got talked into taking Trey Lance. If Trey Lance ends up being a bus, I'm telling you right now, man, I'm probably going to John Lynch if I'm 
Kyle Shanahan going, I need everybody to step back and let me pick my guys here. Like, let me, let me actually have input on this. But they seem to maybe have, uh, have found a, a solid quarterback there in Purdy. Um, with the way he's playing today anyway, it's short sample size, but he came in, was thrust into the fire last week, played pretty well, is showing a good mobility here and looking good in this system. So it's going to be exciting to see how everything unfolds, man. And, and draft season is going to be right around the corner as soon as soon as the uh, the season wraps up. We'll get into free agency and all that stuff, man. There's a lot, a lot to look forward to. But, again, until we're knocked out of the playoffs, man, let's keep fighting, let's keep pushing, let's hope the Packers can somehow pull it off. That's where I stand. If you disagree, it's totally cool, man. We can, we can agree to disagree on that. That's awesome. So that's it, guys. Really appreciate your time. Thanks for hanging out with us. If you're listening to this on Sunday night, we're going to make it go live fairly quick as long as this file is clean enough. And uh, <clears throat> then uh, if you're listening on Monday afternoon, really appreciate you making us a part of your workday and, uh, yeah, putting us in the uh, – in the Rolodex there, putting us on the playlist. We uh, we certainly appreciate it. So we'll be back, um, let's see, on Tuesday for a podcast. Then if everything goes well, I fly into Green Bay on Wednesday. We'll get you a podcast out Thursday. We'll do another one on Saturday. And then we'll hold the Sunday episode and actually do it, um, obviously, as the postgame show on Monday night because typically that's what the Sunday shows are. But, again, we want to get you four episodes this week. Uh, even though it was a bye week. So thank you guys for listening. As always, let's go out and be the change we want to see in the world. Go Pack Go.